0: Okay, this morning, we are gonna finish up Jude. Um, and then we have a couple of weeks after that. Um, next week, I had thought that we would spend some time dealing with some of the specific issues that pop up or maybe even just some general issues that, that lead toward um, false teaching. And then uh, the week after that, I'm gone. And so I'm going to need somebody to teach that week. And so we'll be talking to some of you. And then we have two weeks after that. And then we take a summer break, I believe, from the 24th to the 21st. I think there's a one-month break during the summer. So just so you're aware of what's going to be happening. So um, we are going to finish up Jude today. Now, I know there's some of you who haven't been with us in Jude. But Jude is a book which deals with... Um, error creeping into the church, but actually it deals with false teachers and identifying false teachers and their attitudes. And and what we're gonna do today is finish. Jude puts the so what passage right at the very end. What do we do with this? We've had a lot of teaching now um, on the false prophets. We've been taught that false teachers are motivated chiefly by three things they're ungodly which means they want to approach God on their own terms it doesn't mean they don't believe in God but they decide how they want to worship God they are sensual they're in it for the money or for the fame or for the whatever it is something makes them feel really good about um, something appeals to their senses about uh, the false teaching so it might be money, but it might even be just intellectual acclaim that everybody praises them for, for what they think or the power that comes from it. And then there's a denial of authority. They, they refuse to accept the authority that's placed over them. In other words, they want to be in charge. And those are kind of the motivations that take place. Um, the results of it um, we studied a couple weeks ago. They're dangerous. They are uh, make big promises that don't come true. They're unproductive. Um, they stir up dissension and division in a church that they're in. Um, and finally, they will lead you astray, sometimes slowly. They're like a wandering star that is moving across the sky. Um, if we fix our sights on them we'll just keep going off a little bit every single day. Um, they are under judgment. God pr- promises to bring judgment upon those people. And then last week we saw that they, um, um, they cause divisions. And I mentioned last week that it's not the truth that causes divisions. Uh, the, the truth doesn't cause divisions, but it was interesting this week. I was, I don't know, it wasn't planning on mentioning this, but I went to the prison with Rod. So we were in prison on Friday night. It's always funny to say that. I was in prison <laughs> on Friday night. Um, and they, let us out. they did let us out, although it was, it was close. We almost missed the deadline. We almost had to stay there overnight. But um, uh, no, I'm sure they would have let us out. Anyways, um, the... Um, there was a gentleman there, Rod has talked about him, who is theologically very sound. But what was interesting was he has some of the characteristics of a false teacher in that he is very unloving in the way he presents the doctrine and he is determined to do it his way. So there's an authority issue and he is mm-hmm. dividing uh, he and maybe some others are dividing the prisoners there. So the Christians are fighting with each other. And it was just interesting to me that it's, it's actually that mentality of the false teacher. So here's a guy who actually believes the truth, but his mentality, I think, is that of a false teacher. And it causes division, and it stirs up problems, and everybody's upset. Um, and that's what we expect from apostates, from false, false teachers. question is, what do we do about it? do well, you do at this point. And so we're gonna read the last few verses from 17 on, and I'm gonna give you a little mama or a alliteration device to help you remember, because it's kind of interesting. Um, and then there's a benediction at the end, or a doxology that's a magnificent doxology um, that we'll end with. It says in verse 17 of Jude, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is those who cause division, worldly people devoid of the spirit, but you beloved building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt save others by snatching them out of the fire to others show mercy with fear hating even the garments stained by the flesh now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only god our savior through jesus christ our lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time and now and forever amen Um, this is the, the outline for today what do we do now that we know about these false teachers the first thing is to remember and the second one is to remain and the third is to reach out remember what the apostles have said about false teachers come in Remain strong in your own faith, in your most holy faith. And finally, reach out to those who are in error. This is what we do with what Jude teaches us, okay? The first one is to remember, and he mentions it here. He says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. We have been warned that this is happening. We've mentioned that many times in Jude, but that's the ending of Jude is to remember this. Um, By the way, it's not just the apostles, it was Jesus Christ himself, right? Go over to Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is talking about the end times. Um, Matthew 24 verse nine says then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my sake and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray Um, there, there will be false prophets jesus tells us that if you go to acts chapter 20 verse 29 Uh, Paul is leaving um, uh, Ephesus and in verse, let's see if I can find it here, verse 29, he says, pay careful, careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. By the way, he's speaking to the elders of Ephesus. He says, Written to First Timothy and in Titus and in um, Thessalonians, in Corinthians, Paul warns about false teachers coming. They're coming. And then you have go over quickly to 2 Peter. So we have Paul, we have Jesus, we have um, um, we have Peter. 2 Peter chapter two verse one. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Okay, why, I think this is a pretty easy thing, but why is it important for us to remember that this is gonna happen? What does that do for us? Was that? Okay, so it keeps us alert, so that we can remain vigilant. All right, what else? I
1: think it also keeps us sober-minded, and it basically says when
0: you see uh, when you see bad things coming, don't be surprised when it happens. Okay, very good. All right, anything else that that? Okay, Uh, keeps us aware. I think we're coming at the same thing from a bunch of different angles here, but alert, vigilant, sober-minded, aware. Uh, Anything else that it does? Kirk. Well, all that would help us prepare for it so that we can take it. Okay, so we should be prepared. We should be like Boy Scouts here. But Boy Scouts prepare for everything, right? They're supposed to be prepared for everything, whereas we're being prepared for one thing. False teachers are coming. Yeah, it's interesting. You put encourages us. I said keeps us from being discouraged. <laughs> um, and I don't know which one it is. I don't know if that's encouraging to me, but what it does do is it keeps me from being discouraged Um, you you may want to think back to when you were a younger Christian maybe even you grew up in a Christian church but maybe you went through and and a pastor of a church fell into heresy or you uh, heard about you know uh, for me it was Jim and Tammy Faye Baker um, who is that right Uh, all of a sudden it didn't sound right but anyways Jim and Tammy yeah Jim and Tammy Baker where I knew that he wasn't uh, he was a rated, but then when that scandal comes, and you just get discouraged, it's like, how how does this happen? What is wrong with God? That He's let—I I know that's a really bad thing to say, but what's what is wrong here? Uh, what's wrong with the church that error is creeping in? There's nothing wrong with the church. Satan is going to constantly be attacking the church, right? Constant j- Satan has attacked the church. The minute that Jesus left, heresies began creeping in. We should expect it. And because we should expect it, we should be vigilant. And we should not be discouraged because false teaching is coming into the church. It should be expected. The elders are the first line of defense, but elders can fall too. Um, We should be watching. And, And you should expect that it's coming even here at grace, right? Grace isn't going to be spared. There will be attacks on us as well. And as Christians, we should never forget that false teachers are coming. Okay? Kirk, you were going to say something. I don't know if we've covered it. And Frank and Seth. Okay.
1: <laughs>
0: but let's, let's go Tom and then Frank and then Seth. That's where we're gonna get here. You're, jump, you're, you're leading right in. All right, very good. Good segue. Yeah, good segue, okay.
1: I was gonna say armed and ready with the word.
0: Armed and ready. Uh, and again, the armed is, I think, what comes from here, remaining, okay? Seth? We need to know the truth. You cannot fight false doctrine unless you understand what true doctrine is. You cannot even recognize false teachers unless you know what good teaching is. You, 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 all of those things are gonna tie in together. All right, anything else on this one? But I think this is important. Sometimes we forget this. I, I think it's easy for us just kind of blissfully go along. We live in Kingsburg, bad things don't happen here. You know, everything's pretty good. No, false teachers are gonna, some of you don't. Know, that didn't resonate with you. Bad things happen in Kingsburg, I guess. Okay, so, um, but, um, all right. So next, remain. There's four principles underneath here. What does it mean then to remain? This is gonna be key. Um, And if you read through it, starting at verse 20, it says, but you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So building or remaining four points. We're to build ourselves up in our most holy faith, in your most holy faith, hey Billy. I'd
1: like
0: to (laughs) add. Praying in the spirit. All right. So building ourselves up in our most holy faith. Praying in the spirit. Um, Keep ourselves in the love of God. And what's the last one there? Waiting um, for mercy okay build ourselves up praying in the spirit keep ourselves in God's love waiting for mercy Uh, you may remember if you were part of this back in second john it was talking about love for each other the way we love each other is to keep ourselves strong in the faith it's the best way the most hurtful thing that happens is when a person leaves and falls into error or wanders away from the faith. It's really important to remain. It's important for us to remain in the faith or to do these things so that we don't become part of the problem. So building ourselves up in our most holy faith, how does that happen? Studying the word. word placing yourself under the word, putting yourself into a body of believers that's committed uh, to working out their faith. And that one really deals with the doctrine, which Tom mentioned, the segue, actually the three of you mentioned. So um, go over to Acts chapter 20. By the way, we just read that passage. This is where Paul is encouraging the, the elders to not, that wolves are coming And let me pick this up then in verse 32. Remember, he said, wolves are coming, so um, remember that I admonished you. And now in Acts 20, verse 32, he says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So what does the word of God do? It, it builds us up. So this is to give ourselves to the word. And we could pull out a number of verses like that. Let me just go to one other one. Um, 1 Peter chapter two. So just back a couple of first uh, Peter. Chapter two and verse one. says so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander actually verse two like newborn infants long for the pure milk of the word the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted the lord is good Um, it's through the word of god that we grow and one other one and go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Starting at verse 11, it says, and he, speaking of Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So I think there's really two parts here, study the word and then put yourself in a place where the word is taught, so that we grow together as, as believers. Of course, there's more to that, there's the one another's and there's the encouragement from the saints, but we need to, study the word, and then be in um, a, a local church. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, when I, whenever I hear somebody, and you, I'm sure you've talked with people, you know, we stopped going to church, because you know what, we can study the Bible at home, and we can pray at home, and I can worship God just as well at home, okay? Maybe that's true, but you know what you're missing? You're missing the body which comes along and grows together. Notice it's the body itself that's growing. The body of Christ in Kingsburg grows together. And if you start going off, there's somebody to bring you back. And you're gonna hear the word of God taught by somebody uh, when you go sit under Pastor Scott who has studied the word and has been trained in right doctrine. And it's easy, it's easy to veer off if we're not in a local body. Um, so any comments on building ourselves up?
1: I, I think there's a birth there's a breaking down you have these things that you're being broken down or you will degrade on your own. I think part of this is that that degradation or that attack actually forces you to build yourself back up. So I think it's just that the act of reinforcement part of the process.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you remove yourself from the word, if you remove remove yourself from the teaching of the word, you will will degrade. By the way, that's just a plug for expository teaching. The reason that we teach through books is if you don't do that, oftentimes the pastor will avoid topics that he doesn't feel comfortable talking about. And you don't get the whole counsel of the word of God. But as you teach through a book, if there's something in there that's uncomfortable, you have to teach through it. And it's not that you can't not teach expository, and, and by expository, that simply means reading out of the text, but expository through a book like we do, there's a benefit to doing that. And, and it's, 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 it, it especially, I think, helps us build ourselves up because we get the whole counsel of God's word, right? Rod
1: in prison, a lot of these men have a lot of time to just study, and they know the word very They, well. they sure do. <laughs> and the problem is, is that they may not interpret it correctly, but they have all this knowledge, and they can't, they don't hear it, they read it, and they, they accept it from their own experience and interpretation. They don't get somebody else's opinion as to what the definition is, and it can be very divisive. Throughout the, the whole prison system, there are just not enough ministers in prison to deliver the word to them. And so they're forced to deal with themselves. And it, it's, it's kind of an interesting situation.
0: You know what I think you ought to do, Rod, is get yourself go commit a crime so you can go there and <laughs> be there full time. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Go ahead, Tom. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I frequently hear people saying, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth, but I'm loving you while I'm telling you the truth. There's something about us, you know, that if we share. In this context, and I'm probably not asking the fair question because it's not important to say, would you say that speaking the truth in love means delivering?
0: I would think in this context, and like you said, I haven't studied it, but if you start off, it talks about, he's giving us evangelists, teachers, um, preachers, um, people who are there to teach the word. So I think the word is the key in that passage. You would have other passages that say, rebuke one another, right? So there's a time for both, but I, I do think that's referring to the word, but I would have to go back and study that, okay? All right, second. We are to be praying. Now it says praying in the spirit. And if you grew up like I did when the charismatic movement swept through, praying in the spirit took on a very specific definition. It meant speaking in tongues. Um, Because they went to Romans where it talks about the spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So when you were, and that groanings for too deep for words became speaking in tongues. I don't think that's what this is at all. Um, I hope not, because then I've never prayed in the spirit. Okay. Um, I think this simply means what it means when Jesus says, "Pray in my name." Right. Are we to pray in the Lord's name? Pray in Jesus' name. What does that mean? To pray in Jesus' name, according to His will. Right. To 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 pray. What Jesus would pray for us, Um, and I think it's exactly the same thing, we are led by the Spirit. We're praying in the Spirit. It means that our prayers line up with the Spirit's desires for us. Um, We lead, pray being prompted and led by Him. I I don't think there's anything mystical about this. It's just praying in the Spirit, praying according to the, uh, the, the, the moving of the Spirit, praying After the will of the Spirit. Why is prayer such an important part of remaining? Darla? You You cannot have a relationship without communication. Prayer is our communication with God. We hear Him speak to us and we have a chance to speak to Him. What else? Because I think there's more to it. I think that's a great answer. Go ahead, Darla. It looked like you were going to say something else. before we can enter God's presence. Yeah. Seth? What God
1: who built the church built
0: so for life and power to do it. Okay. Somebody else said okay. What, 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 go ahead, Dan. Uh, in John 1,
1: uh, 12 it says that all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God who was born not of blood nor the will of, of the flesh nor the will of man but of God and God, uh, I truly believe that God works his will through the prayers of his believers. So there's a relationship there that he does his will. He doesn't need us, but he
0: uses our prayers to do the will. Okay. And and we had had that in James, too. The, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Go ahead. exactly. Prayer focuses, puts us back into, um, should bring us back into right relation with God. Let's think about the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy, sorry I I know it out of King James, hallowed be thy name. What do we do first when we pray? We focus our attention on who God is. Um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what are we doing there? We're aligning ourselves with his purposes, right? Um, Give us this day our daily bread, which means that we are putting ourselves under dependence, we're understanding who we are in relation to him, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. We come asking for forgiveness, I think if we stop praying, we, when studying of the word of God is going to simply produce pride, right? These two have to be linked together. If we stop praying, we're going to find ourselves elevating ourselves to God. I think the comment that we're God works through us, that we're humble through our prayers, that we come and have communication with God take away prayer and you probably will find yourself, although you may be doctrinally pure like the man at the prison, you're going to be the one who's going to be causing divisions and stirring up problems and probably susceptible to apostasy, susceptible to then becoming so proud that what you think is right has to be right every single time. Rod, you were going to.
1: Uh, Adrian Rogers did talked about putting on the armor of God in Ephesians. He says the battle is not the the battle that we face is always won in the prayer. Uh, you can't win any battles in the armor of God without the prayer. So
0: I just kind of out that Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. Any more comments on prayer? All right now let's go to the more interesting one and I should not say more interesting the problematic one keep yourself in God's love anybody have a red flag go up when you hear that <laughs> how, how did we begin Jude what does it mean to be a Christian we are called loved and kept you begin the book of Jude in verse, verse one. Christians are called, loved, and kept. And I mentioned at the time that if you go to Romans 8, this is really what Paul covers in much more detail in the second half of Romans 8. We're called, loved, and kept. Look at the ending of the book. Verse, oh, I'm in Ephesians, okay. Uh, Jude 24 now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling so at the beginning of the book we are called loved and kept that's what it means to be a believer at the end he says now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling Um, John MacArthur, I heard him preach, I know I've mentioned this before, but it's just powerful to me on Romans 8. Heard it at the Shepherd's Conference. And he made that statement. If you could lose your salvation, you would have. It would already have happened. Because in our own flesh, we can't do it. Um, Another, I think it was a different author said, when I was studying this said, you can't save yourself, right? You, you can't, uh, or if it was up to you to be to save yourself, you would not be saved. If it was up to you to sanctify yourself, you would not be sanctified. If it was up to you to uh, glorify yourself, you would not be glorified. If it's up to you to keep yourself, you will not be kept. Um, and And if we're not careful and we say we have to keep somehow have to keep ourselves then we're in trouble but what does this say keep yourself in God's love Um, I don't believe I believe the only way we can keep ourselves in God's love is that God has already kept us but I do believe that this is telling us something and it's telling us something important Um, so I want you to picture a parent it's Father's Day a good father A good father. I look around the room and I see a bunch of them. Hopefully all of them, those of you who are fathers. Good fathers. Um, Kirk, is there anything that Valentine's gonna do that will keep you from loving her? No. Good answer, okay. (laughs) No. And I could go to every father in the room and ask that, right? Now, we're human, and it's possible that that may not be true if we had something bad enough. But God says, I I love you, and that love is unconditional. Here's the difference. Uh, Picture a father with two children. Think of the prodigal son, two children. Um, In fact, the prodigal son is a great example. One who is, well, let's assume one is truly obedient to the father. Think of a child who is not just obedient, but cheerfully obedient who is respectful, who who is loving, who is obedient. And then think of the brother or the sister who is rebellious and doing absolutely everything to hurt the parents. Um, Both of them are loved by their father. But the way that that love manifests itself is quite different. I would say that the child who's obedient is keeping her, him or herself in his parents love whereas the rebellious child is actually trying to take himself out of his parent whether he realizes or not he's bumping up against that boundary I think the key here is that what God what he's calling us to do here is to be obedient we are to place ourselves under the word but we are be obedient to God's word not because we could lose God's love, but because we're going to lose the experience of it. You're not going to feel loved by God. And if you go back to John, it says, um, if you go back to the book of John, it says, Jesus says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Um, What happens is if you stop obeying, you stop loving God. He doesn't stop loving you. And the, the feeling will be totally different. It'll be that of a rebellious child whose parents are disciplining him and the discipline does not appear to be love. And so <clears throat> you begin to, to, to doubt your own salvation. Um, but you are still held and kept by God the Father, or else all of us are too rebellious to be kept. So that's, that's how I understand this but I'm sure some of you have comments about it. Yeah. What will happen though is, is if you go into a life of rebellion, you will reach a point where you doubt your salvation. Uh, most, most of the time, there, there's, actually, there's actually two doctrines. There's the perseverance of the saints, which says that God holds on to his own. He keeps us. And then we would talk about the assurance of salvation. The assurance of salvation is what we feel. And what we feel is oftentimes dependent upon what we do, not necessarily what we know, right? You can have the doctrine, but if you, are, if you are constantly disobedient, you're going to reach a point where you wonder if you're actually a child of God anymore. You know, it's interesting, I mentioned the prodigal son. What does the prodigal son think about his father? Does he think his father still loves him? No, I'll go back as a slave. I'll go back as a servant perhaps my father will hire me. And he he walks up to his father and and he's repentant, but I don't think he really thinks his father is his father anymore. And so that's what's taking place. All right. Uh, You know what? We're going to spend one more week in Jude because it's 10 o'clock, but let's finish with this one. And that's actually good. I I didn't want to rush through the benediction, but I thought let's finish it this week but we'll go one more week on it, and then we'll take some time and talk about the other doctrines as well. Waiting for mercy. Waiting for mercy. It actually says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Um, Our focus as Christians is to always be looking toward the future when we will be like him for we will see him as he is. We are looking for that time where our salvation is completely accomplished, where we are no longer tempted by sin. Um, By the way, it says waiting for eternal life. We actually have eternal life. When you placed your faith and trust in Christ, you received rivers of living water. You were never going to be separated from him from that point. Go to, back over quickly to Titus chapter 2, verse 13, when it talks about waiting. Um, Actually, let's start at verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to denounce renounce ungodliness and worldly passions that live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works uh, we are waiting for the blessed hope we're waiting for Christ to return or for him to call us home and to bring us into his presence. And so that we are fr- free from, uh, uh, th- then it's accomplished. Yeah.
1: It's when our faith becomes sight. Yes. We no longer things hoped for, thing it's things
0: realized. It's what's realized. It's where what has already taken place now is made visible to us. And then the other one, which I've already mentioned, but I just love this verse. So anytime I have a chance to read it, I like to. First John chapter three, um, verses one through three. <clears throat> See what kind of love the Father has given to us. I, I can't read that line without thinking, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Um, which we used to sing as a song kind of a round that we would go through we ought to do that no no I'm just kidding Uh, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him beloved we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears that's what we're waiting for we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And now watch the next verse. And everyone who has this hope in him and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, looking toward the consummation where it all is um, made known to us and we are like Jesus Christ this is what it means to remain build ourselves up pray obey and and uh, wait for the coming of the lord jesus christ if we're doing this um, we then have protected ourselves and now we can do what comes next which is to reach out and if you read those verses the people who are in error are not our enemy they are sinners who need to be saved by grace, and we need to reach out to them. So we'll pick that up next week. Any comments here before we end? Rod. One of the motivations for being
1: obedient is our love for the Lord.
0: Yeah. It's not a have to, I don't
1: have to remain obedient, I desire to be obedient because of his love for me.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's why that's what we're called to be is like Christ. And if that doesn't mean anything, if we say, I don't really want to be like Christ, then something's, something's wrong. So when we fix our eyes on what we're going to be, we say, this is what I want to be. Well, then this is how I should act um, out of love for him and out of desire to be like him. Yeah. OK. All right. Let's let's close in prayer.